How are you doing? You good? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, very simply, remove myself this morning and in my place. Take control. Put your spirit before me, inside me, and speak the truth to us. Your words, not mine. Your words. We pray as the disciples prayed. Lord, teach us how to pray. As we go to school to learn how to pray. Be glorified. Father, be put on display this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just tell you that I have uh, taught on, this will be the third time, the, the Lord's Prayer. I got to do part of it as associate pastor at the church in Croton, Ohio, and then I went through it at the church in Indiana. Um, it is probably by far my most favorite sermon series I do. And this particular sermon is the one that I really look forward to. I actually long to preach on this uh, particular part of the Lord's Prayer. And it just really comes down to this verse right here. And we'll spend our time just looking at this. Hallowed be your name. The title of this sermon uh, is prayer, the prominence of God. Some call it the priority of God, but it's the prominence of God. And so far in our sermon series on prayer, we have learned that God's children are not to put themselves on display as the Pharisees did when they prayed. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? Good. There is no reward from God with that type of praying. The reward being seen by men It's already been received. And this type of self-centered praying is not how a child of the kingdom of heaven prays, Jesus says. We are also not to pray how? Mindless, meaningless repetition as if by the use of our many words, God will answer our prayers. We have to, in a sense, kind of constantly badger him to get what we want. This type of praying is how the pagans pray, Jesus said. They're harassing their small g gods and they're giving them what they're asking. Instead, our Lord says to go to God in secret with the full assurance that he already knows what you need. And then he will reward you. And the point of his instruction on praying is this. Is that how you pray is to pray to commune with him. To fellowship with God. Folks, he's there waiting for you to enter his presence. Now think about that for a moment. He is waiting for you to enter his presence. And why? What's last week's sermon? Because he's a loving father. And I don't want you to turn there, but you're familiar with, I think most of you are, the story of or the parable of the prodigal son. Do you remember that parable that Jesus taught? 
It's in Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. It's a story about two sons and a loving father. And the story is ultimately about the loving father who could forgive a son who left home, was unrighteous, and a loving father who could forgive a son who stayed at home and was self-righteous. But the loving father forgave them both. The loving father offered them both all that he possessed. And that's the story. You see, God is the father who cares for his sons, whether they be religious or irreligious, whether they be moral or immoral, whether they be self-righteous or unrighteous. He cares. He cares. He cares. He cares. Because he's a loving father. And it is this type of heavenly father who is waiting for us as we approach him in prayer. That's biblical thinking on how to pray. A loving father embracing you. Literally with a, a, a grin over his face as you enter into his presence. Our Lord says this to comfort us and to serve as an encouragement for us to pray. Now we come to the point of the Lord's Prayer where we look at the first petition or the first request of this prayer. And just so you know, the way that the grammar is constructed in the Greek for all of these petitions, you know what a petition is? All these requests we're asking of him. All of these requests are written in such a way that there's a sense of immediacy in the grammar. So in other words, when we would say, you know, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it would be kind of literally read like this. Your will be done yesterday. Okay, he wants it done. There's a sense of immediacy, of urgency. So keep that in your back, in your mind, as we look at the first petition, hallowed be thy name. Now, what is in a name? That's how we have to begin to explain to you what it means when he's instructing us, hallowed be thy name. Here are some of the names of God that you'll find. Yes, I went over Rapha, the Lord our healer, but Elohim, my creator Jehovah, El Elyon, Most High God. El Roy, the God who sees. Jehovah. Jehovah Sabbath, the Lord of hosts. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Jehovah Mekadeshim, the Lord who sanctifies. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our banner. You can read these. These are all the different, some of the different names of God. And just so you know, there's such a sacredness attached to the name of God that Jehovah is actually a non-word. Did you know that? I think I, did I tell you this? They were so, they kept the name of God so sacred that they took the word uh, Adonai and the word Yahweh, and they didn't want to say those names. And so they created this non-word, Jehovah. Because remember I told you that there was such a distance between them and God at the time that the Lord was teaching them how to pray, that they wouldn't even say the name of God. So they weren't even approaching him. And so it was radical for Jesus to say, our Heavenly Father. So Jehovah is actually a non-word 
They created it so they could say the name of God, but without saying Yahweh or Adonai. Because they took the consonants out of one and the, and the, the vowels out of another and created this word Jehovah. So, just a little side note there. But those are just some of the names of God you find in the Bible. Here's what God told Moses about his name. In Exodus 33, you can just listen. This is verse 18 and 19. Moses said, remember this? Please show me your glory. And he's up on the mountain with the, with the Lord. He says, please show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So what do you know about the name of God as he defined it? In that instance, he's the Lord who will be gracious to whom he chooses to be gracious to. You'll have mercy on whom I will show mercy. This continues with the names of Jesus. Beyond the fact that he described himself as what? The way, the truth, the life, the resurrection and the life, the bread of life. Beyond all of that, you may remember Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. You know this, right? Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So what's in a name? Well, a name is the totality of all the attributes of a person. It is not a title. So in biblical times, when you would call a person's name, you weren't just identifying him or her. You were also identifying their character. And we do the same thing today. For example, we didn't associate certain names with certain emotions. For instance, if I mention Hitler, what do you instantly think of? Nazi Germany, the horrors of the concentration camps, hatred, all of that, right? But if I mention Mother Teresa, what do you think of? Holiness or selfless work for the homeless and dying of Calcutta. So two people, two names, but two completely different emotional responses. Therefore, we say a name means something. Now, this explains why Moses, in fact, turning your Bibles, if you would, to Numbers 14. Moses is going to pray for or intercede for the people of Israel after the ten spies bring back a negative report of the promised land and its inhabitants. Do you remember this story? This is in Numbers 14, 13 through 19. Some context here. The Jews... The Israelites, they're in the wilderness, been there for some time. How has God demonstrated his power in delivering his people to them? Well, remember the ten plagues? How about parting the Red Sea? Yeah, okay, you get that, right? It's awesome power. And yet the people still don't believe him. 
And so he threatens to wipe them out and start over through Moses. Now, how does Moses persuade the Lord not to carry out his plan? Pick it up in verse 13. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, meaning the wiping out of the people. For you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land, they have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day, in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, it's because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give to them, that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now please let the power of the Lord be great, as you have promised, saying the Lord is slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means cure the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. So what does he appeal to? God's reputation, your name, your fame. Don't wipe out these people. So, in regards to prayer, when we pray, hallowed be thy name, when you read that, if I can put it into plain terms, we might begin this prayer by saying, our Father, who loves and cares for us, you know, has endless supplies in heaven and on earth to meet our every need, may your person, your identity, your character, your nature, your attributes, your reputation, your very being itself, be hallowed. In fact, in his sermon on this petition, remember the name Helmut Thalical? I mentioned it. He was a pastor for the, that small church in Germany during the end of World War II. He preached on a sermon on the Lord's Prayer, and it was just spread everywhere. It was a really good sermon series. He says this, that you have not learned to pray the Lord's Prayer unless you pray it against yourself. This is an important point. He meant that the Lord's Prayer set such a high standard that if we really understand what we are praying, we are praying against our own natural tendencies. Do you hear me on that? Whenever we pray, hallowed be your name, what are we asking? We are asking that God's name be made great instead of our name. But if you really mean that, you are praying against yourself. This is why the death of self is the beginning of true prayer. The death of self is the beginning of true prayer. I know some of you are big fans of A.W. Pink. He wrote this. How clearly then is the fundamental duty in prayer set forth. Self in all its needs must be given a secondary place. In the Lord, he's freely accorded the preeminence in our thoughts and prayers. This petition, hallowed be thy name, 
must take the precedence for the glory of God's great name is the ultimate end of all things. In other words, folks, prayer, your prayers, don't begin with your concerns. Prayer begins with God's concerns. Prayer doesn't begin with you. It begins with God. And we simply are not taught to pray that way. We instinctively go before God with our list, our requests. Part of it lies the fact that we just simply don't understand this word, hallowed. That's why I call it hallowed what? What in the world does that mean? Because it's kind of an archaic term. When we pray to the Father, we're to begin by praying, hallowed be your name. Let's look at that word, hallowed. I know that we're not familiar with it, but it's really not that difficult. The word itself simply means holy or sacred. Now, do you remember, folks, what Abraham Lincoln, I don't think you would remember this, said in the Gettysburg Address just a few months after that battle in the Civil War in 1863? So standing on that battlefield where so many men in the blue and gray shed their blood, this is what he said. We cannot hallow, we cannot consecrate, we cannot dedicate this Ground. Well, why? Because the battle at Gettysburg was already hallowed. It was already made sacred by the brave men who fought and died there. See, that gives us a good definition. To hallow something is to treat it as sacred and holy and worthy of the highest veneration and respect. So the prayer is this. When we pray, hallowed be thy name. Lord, may your name be treated with respect and honor because your name is sacred and holy. And as you'll find out, it is not just a prayer to be prayed. It is a life to be lived out. You hallow God's name when you treat it with the utmost respect. Folks, this is part of the reason why I've been telling you, don't rush into the presence of God. Slow down. Go before him in silence. Think of Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 3. God is in heaven. You're on earth. Let your words be few. With reverence, with awe, slowly enter his presence, fully knowledgeable of who he is. And as a loving Father, He will then meet you. Hallowed be thy name. Puts God in the prominent place. God is the priority. This is what our Lord wants us to get from this instruction. Even though He is my loving Father, even though He cares to meet my needs, even though He has heavenly and earthly resources to do that, my first request is not on my behalf. 
It's on his behalf. Don, I'll never forget this. I said this. We were in the fellowship hall, praying, and Don's jaw dropped to his mouth. And when we left that night, he got out of his car and thanked me for this. This is what I said. Hallowed be thy name is a warning against self-seeking prayer. God has a priority. That's the promise of God. That means you don't go before him quickly and you don't go before him with your list. When you understand how would be thy name, and I'm just going to assume that what little bit I've talked about so far, you're beginning to get what, I, what he means, what Jesus means by this. This means you don't demand God to answer your prayers. This is what is so dangerous about that name it, claim it philosophy. Where is, how would be thy name? It's, you're the God, you're demanding him to give you what you want. As if you're manipulating or forcing him to keep his promise. How are you hollowing him? You are nothing. He is everything. God is the priority in your praying. Now, I want to go into a little, little deeper on what it means to hallow. The basic idea of the Greek word for hallowed is hagios. It's very simple. It means to be holy. But what does it mean to be holy? In simple terms, it means to be different. In the more complex terms, it means a different sphere or a different quality of being. That's how God exists. On a different plane, a different quality of being. That is why he is called the Holy One. He is separated from us. Now, out of this idea of hallowed be thy name, or hallowed, this idea of difference comes the idea of reverence. So when we pray, the first petition is saying we are to speak to God out of reverence for the person he is. And let me give you an illustration. Since you're already there, turn to Numbers chapter 20. The people of Israel are in the desert, and once again, they don't get it. They're complaining to Moses about a lack of water. Now, Moses has already been instructed by the Lord to provide water for them. This is the second time. So Moses takes his complaint before the Lord and receives the following instructions in verse 8. Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. Now that's pretty clear and easy instructions to follow. And that gives you insight to how at times the Lord will speak to you. You will know it's him and it will be very clear and direct. Here's what Moses did. Look at verses 10 and 11. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank in their livestock. What was the command? 
speak to it. Instead of speaking to the rock, Moses struck it twice with his staff. What was God's response? Verse 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, now watch this, because you did not believe in me to what? Uphold me as holy. Guess what the Greek word is there? Halo, hagios. You didn't treat me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. He did not uphold God as holy, as sacred, as set apart, to be revered, to be obeyed. He didn't do it before the people, and therefore he was not allowed to lead the people into the promised land. Folks, it's a serious matter, is what I'm trying to get at, to hallow the name of God. Now, the Jews understood this, and so did Jesus. And I want you to listen to me. This is why after our Father, it says what? Hallowed be your name. The Jews were so conscious of this that when they called God Father, they almost always immediately added another title after that to balance their thinking. In the Shemone Esrei, the central prayer of the Jewish liturgy, it's prayed 18 times every day. This is the way they begin every one of those prayers. O Father, O King, O Lord. See that? O Father, followed by O King, O Lord. Imagine saying it 18 times a day. O Father, O King, O Lord. O Father, O King, O Lord. They were very careful about being too friendly with God as a Father at the expense of God as a majestic, sovereign King. Folks, God is the focus of all prayer. Look at the Lord's Prayer for a moment. Just you know it in your mind. The prayer begins with what? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. See how it begins with God? But it also ends with God. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Prayer is to give the privilege of displaying his majesty. Now, how is that done? How do I display God's majesty when I pray? Well, it's when we bring our lives into harmony with his will. Everybody turn to Psalm 86. Psalm 86. Verses, sorry, verse 6. It says, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. We know that David is in trouble. And he's pleading for God's favor, his grace. Verse 8, there is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. Now, I want you to know something. David's in trouble, right? We're going to find out that people are pursuing him to seek his life. That's a pretty big problem, right? Does he begin by asking God? 
He begins his prayer with the acknowledgement of the majesty and the character of God as the only God and praises him for what he's done. Look at verses 9 and 10. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and so glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. See what he's saying there? The whole world should bow and worship before you, God. Prayer is setting God in his rightful place. Now watch what happens next. Verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. You see, when God is in the rightful place in your life and in your prayers, I then bring my will into submission to his. That's verse 11. And again, David is in trouble. He has not even asked for anything yet. And let me paraphrase this psalm for you. It would go something like this. First of all, God, I want to acknowledge that you're God and you have a right to do with me whatever you want. Secondly, I want to acknowledge that I submit to your way and your will. Make my heart one with your heart. Is that how you pray? See, that's true prayer. Bowing submissively to the will of God. Look at verse 12. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. So no matter what happens, God, I will praise you, because what is my concern? Your glory. And if you don't get anything out of this sermon, please get this. Prayer is the occasion. This is why we pray for God to demonstrate his glory. We pray so that God may be glorified. If you can get that. And let me explain this a little further. What I say prayer is the occasion. It's when you ask for something and God answers your prayer. What are you to do? Praise him. Give him glory for answering your prayer. And the reason why he answered your prayer is he's a loving Heavenly Father, yes, but what else? So that he may be glorified. This is why the Psalms talk about, I want to tell of your wondrous works and deeds. I want to make you look good. This is why John fourteen thirteen, and you should memorize this verse. It says this, this is Jesus speaking, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So when you ask in the name of Jesus, and you understand it's not just saying the name of Jesus, I pray in Jesus' name. You understand what you're saying when you pray in his name? You're praying in the totality of who Jesus Christ is and all his attributes. That wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the bread of life, the resurrection of life, the way, the truth, all of that. You're asking of who he is in his personhood. When you ask in that name. He says, I am going to answer you. Why? That the father may be glorified in the son. This is why we pray. Folks. Let me show you how this lives out. 
for you. You probably don't remember, but my very first sermon here in August 16th or whatever it was, 2016, do you remember what that was about? I didn't have any Bible or any verse, really. I stood up here and I told you what? All that God did to get us here. Remember I told you how I had to sell everything or a lot of stuff on Craigslist, and I would list stuff, and it was just selling just like this. I'd list stuff before, and it wouldn't sell. God had made a way in the desert. And the reason why I did that was to make myself look good, right? No, it was to, to, to display the excellence of God in all that he did, that he cares for this church to bring us here. It's to put God on display. See, that's why we exist. He is to be glorified. Now, do you remember the very beginning of this instruction in Matthew 6? Jesus' instructions on prayer begin with denouncing who? The Pharisees. And how were they praying? Where were they going to pray? To put who on display? What is now, now you understand, how will be thy name? To the contrary, we pray to put who on display? God. I mean, it could be any more opposite. Now, how do I hallow your name? Here's some more specific instruction. In Martin Luther's Catechism, one of the questions asked about the Lord's Prayer is, how is God's name hallowed among us? And what's the specifics of this? And the answer is simple. God's name is kept holy when his word is taught in its truth and purity. And we as the children of God live holy lives according to it. When you have the right thoughts of God and you do the right deeds from God, only then are you hallowing his name. There are people that have the right thoughts of God, but don't have the right lives. They are not hallowing his name. Listen to this. There's an early church father by the name of Origen, and I didn't have time to go into this, but it was fascinating, this idea. They said this, and I've countered this over and over again. The man who brings into his concept of God ideas that have no place there takes the name of the Lord God in vain. Let me say it again. The man who brings into his concept of God ideas that have no place there, in other words, it's wrong thinking about God, takes the name of the Lord God in vain. If you don't have the right thoughts about God, how in the world are you going to Hallow him. So to allow into your thinking of God things that are wrong and unworthy of God, which is what we do, that's to irreverence his holy name. Now we we can do this not only by thinking wrong thoughts about God, but by being ignorant of the right thoughts of God. So, we hallow his name we fill our minds with what? The Word of God. 
This is why the psalmist cries out of the type of man, Psalm 1, verse 2, who hallows God's name. It says this, you know this, his delight is in what? The law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. This is why the Apostle Paul wrote, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. When we begin to do that, we are beginning to hallow his name. And we will bring that beginning of how in his name to fullness when we live a life of obedience to him. Knowing isn't just enough. Evil spirits know. They do not hallow his name. That knowing must be accompanied with the doing. There are plenty of people, I said, who have right thoughts about God, but not right lives of God. So this prayer, hallowed be thy name, it's not just that God's name be hallowed in heaven or on earth, but guess what? That God's name be hallowed in me. This is a prayer that says, God, please allow me to put on display your holiness. So before you start asking for what you should get, you need to ask for what you should be. Before you start asking for what you should get, you need to ask for what you should be. If I may put it more precisely, manifest your holiness by my right knowledge of who you are and my right living in response to it. This is how you hallow his name. God Hallowed be thy name. Be on display through me. And I told you, when you slow down, remember this last couple of weeks? And you slowly, patiently wait upon the Lord as you enter his presence and you sense his presence. What you will experience is a death of self and the desire for him to be glorified in you. It is a feeling. It is an emotion. An energy. A drive. To make him look good. And that's not necessarily a thought. I mean, it's really an impression, a feeling. Be on display through me. That's only done, folks, in, by living in obedience to his word. Think about this. The Bible says we can glorify God by confessing him as Lord. We glorify God by confessing sin. We glorify God by faith. We glorify God by bearing fruit. We glorify God by praise. We glorify God by contentment. We glorify God by proclamation of his truth. We glorify God by evangelism. We glorify God by sexual purity. We glorify God by unity. It goes on and on and on. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. I want you to see just some of the ways, by the way, I mentioned, that we can demonstrate the majesty and the glory of God. Now, Jesus put it this way. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
You do this, folks, so that others in seeing you can make the right judgment about who God is and be drawn to him. This is what it truly means to pray, hallowed be your name. Now, I think I shared this with you before, but I'll close with this. The winter of 1991, I, UPS would come to Ohio University because we were on quarters, recruit people because we were done at Thanksgiving and wouldn't go back till January 4th. And during that time frame, UPS is busy, so they would hire jumpers, is what you were called. You know, my first job, by the way, working construction in the summer of 1988, $4.25 an hour. It was minimum wage. They were offering like 9 to $13 an hour to be a jumper part-time during that month period in December. I said, yes. Signed up. What you do is uh, you got their phone number. They had your number, and they would call you at like 7 in the morning if you were, had work to do. And you would meet the driver at typically like a public location like a McDonald's parking lot. And you got your clothes, your uniform, you went to the bathroom, you changed, and you kept them with you until the last day of your work. And you would get the phone call, and you go and meet the driver there. Now, the driver that I was working with exclusively, his name was Jim. And they would pack these trucks, you know, the UPS trucks, so full that in order for me to even fit in the truck, in my little seat, he had to do a number of deliveries just so I could fit in there. I'd meet him there at like 8.30, o'clock. And he would literally drive to the first location, give me the box. I would take it to the front door, drop it off, and press the doorbell button, and come back to the truck. Now, this is northeast Ohio. Often it was cold and snowy. And you can imagine that uh, not too long after the first week of me working with him, some of the people didn't like to work, and they would complain their feet were cold and so on. But Jim liked to get things done, and I liked to work. I wanted the money. And I wanted to keep warm, so I would literally run the boxes up to the front sometimes and back. He wouldn't even be done entering them into the system by the time I'd be back in the seat. So he saw I had a work ethic, and Jim and I spent hours together each day. And I kept getting calls every day. And I'd be working with Jim. And Jim was engaged to a fiancé, and he showed me a picture, I think. She was very attractive and so on. Jim was also kind of a health nut and a a physical freak. He would work out a lot. He ate healthy. And he wanted to get rid of the love handles. And he was so cut, he didn't really need to. So he'd tell me these exercises he would do and so on. And he would talk about his his fiancé. But he also would notice good-looking women as he was driving, and he would take a look. Now, in the midst of taking looks at women, occasionally he would peer over at me. And when I would see this attractive woman, I'm a guy, very attractive, I made a choice not to look. In fact, I would look the other way. And he noticed that. I didn't know that, but he noticed that. One day he asked me, why don't you look? And you know what I said? Because the Bible says that if I even look at a woman in a lustful way, I've committed adultery in my heart. He said, really? I didn't know that. And that began a spiritual discussion. 
It turns out that there were other students in Northeast Ohio that wanted to work with UPS. And the Amy was the director and would say, Jim, I want to sign this person to you. He said, no, no, no. I want Chris or nobody else. I worked hard. There's no problems. He and I got along. And he says, the guys that load the trucks can't believe that we finish and get the truck empty by 6 o'clock. Because it was literally a full truck. You couldn't even walk back there. So my work ethic, my behavior, and then thirdly, there was one particular drop we had to do. We were driving. It was late at night. It was dark. I mean, it was probably about 5 o'clock. And we were driving, and we kept going, driving back and forth to this one location. Like, it's this lot right here. I don't see anybody. There's not even a, a like an, a, a mailbox here. And he slowed down. He looked, and we both looked. This is no way. Back in the woods was a cab, you know, the, like a cab in the back of a truck. But the truck was pulled out, so just the cab was there. In the cab with a dog was an old man. We had an envelope from his son, and we both thought, what kind of son is this? If this is the father, because it was the same name, how in the world is he allowing this man, his father, to live this way? This is not Washington, folks. It is cold. And this great swell of compassion arose in me, and I went home that night and told my mom, and we bought this guy and his dog all this stuff, and I asked Jim if I could just, next time we go there, deliver this box to him. Sure enough, the last day we were there, this guy had a package. We gave him this package of all this stuff, and it touched him very much. And as we are, we head to McDonald's. I had to take off, bring a change of clothes, take off the uniform, give it back to him. And he said, you know, Chris, you basically live differently. And you know, I want to make sure I'm believing correctly. I don't want to be believing this when I should be believing that. And so I, I, you know, he had to go or I had to go, something like that. So I gave him a little four spiritual laws. Go through this, and this will give you direction on what to do. I had him a gift for him. He was a big Penn State fan. I got him a Penn State sweatshirt and so on. Unbeknownst to me, I simply was living in obedience to God's word. I was living a holy life. The light of Jesus Christ shone through me that this man saw it. God did a work. And he became interested in hearing about Jesus Christ. Now, I didn't have to share, say one word. But in that instance, and pretty much that's the only instance in my life that's happened, the gospel was presented through my lifestyle. You see, the light of Jesus Christ shone through me. They saw my works. I think Jim eventually made a decision for Jesus Christ. God was glorified in that. I had no idea he was at work there. I didn't want any glory. I was just shocked that God would even use me in that way. When we pray, our Father who is in heaven, I can come close to him. We pray, hallowed be thy name. I recognize that he is so far different from me that I bow my will and my life, my thoughts, my very being to him. And I pray, God, I am yours. Use me as you see fit for your glory's sake. Work through me to put yourself on display. 
That type of prayer, folks, is hallowed be your name. It is not. There is a time for asking. But we're not even close to that yet. That is the beginning of true prayer. Judy Glass is catching it because she spent some time with Episcopalian friends. Okay, sister. They go and they wait before the Lord for 30 to 45 minutes, what your text said, and they share stories of how they've encountered God. They're not saying anything. It's what's called centering prayer. The Puritans practice this. Totally different than the way we approach Him. We pray so that God may be glorified. That's how it would be your name. Let's pray. We're not going to close with a song. We're just going to end right here. I want you to do this. How is name by living a holy life? Heavenly Father, show us, and I'm pretty sure that we know, to be honest with you, the areas of our lives that we are not surrendered to you, that are unholy, where your name is not hallowed. Lord, with what we know about you, the truth about you, and yet where we don't live it out, we are not hallowing your name. Therefore, we can't pray, hallowed be your name. We dishonor your name. And you see it. And quite frankly, we know it. Lord, show us those areas again that we may repent of them and put you in your rightful position as the priority, the prominent place in our lives. So when we pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're not like the football team or basketball team that prays it before a game in hopes that your favor will be upon them to win. That has nothing to do with hallowing your name. It begins with us knowing you and in that knowledge, rightfully living out a holy life. Teach us to pray, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.